you are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit... Okay, if you would join me in your with your Bibles or your mobile device with the app, um, we are in Romans chapter 12, uh, and we're going to be looking at verses 9 through 21, not today, just 9 today, um, and we're figuring out how we're going to look at the rest of the verses in these upcoming weeks because we want to make sure we get it all in there uh, before Evan arrives, so we're going to be timely with that. Um, we're going to see how this goes. I am prone to sinus infections. And um, when I get sinus infections and I get stressed, I also am prone to getting a migraine. And my migraines don't really hurt that bad, but I get these floaters that just grow, and then pretty soon I can't see. So I'm going to be restructuring my sermon here because I can't read uh, most of my notes here. But we'll see what God has for us, and maybe that will get us out of here quicker too. Uh, we'll see how that goes. Uh, you know how Brian, uh, our former pastor, he, he liked to ask this question. In fact, in the three years that I was here, I've, I've heard him ask this question three times. Do you remember your first car? Okay. Did anybody else recall him asking that question? You remember your first car, you know? And uh, but I'm going to ask a different question, and uh, I might pick on the guys a little bit here today, the married men. Do you remember your wife's first car? <laughs> yeah, Jacob. Do you? <laughs> yeah, because you kind of got to go back to when you met her, which was really quite a, kind of a long time ago. You know, it might have been one of those little tykes things that uh, you pedal, you know, kind of thing. Okay, anybody else? Do you remember your wife's first car? Remember when you met her? What was she driving? Logan? It was a 2002 Ford Ranger. 2002 Ford Ranger. Okay. All right. Matthew. My wife drove a 97 Jeep Cherokee. Oh, yeah. Okay. 97 Cherokee. Anybody else? I don't remember her specific car, but she did tell me it was a Saturn. But the car I rode in the most was an old Subaru, a Legacy, and the transmission would like go out, and so we'd have to turn it off and turn it back on randomly, just like going down the road all the time. So I definitely remember that car. Okay. <laughs> all right. Like the clock would start to go, and the radio would come like, here we go. Like, <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah, that makes it kind of memorable, because that's kind of where I was going. When I met my wife, um, she was driving a 1970-something Ford Pinto. Oh, okay, so you see, there's some, some people of a generation, when you say Ford Pinto... They immediately think explosion because that's what they were known for. If you had a rear end, uh, if you were rear-ended driving one of those things, your your Pinto could just blow up on you, kind of thing. So um, it never did blow up, at least when when we were you know first going out and that kind of thing. But you could hear that thing coming from two counties away. Uh, you know, we, my, I remember I lived up by Canyon Lake, and my roommate and I, we'd be there watching TV or something, and we'd hear this, you know, and Mike, he'd always look at me and go, oh, Lori's coming, <laughs> and uh, she must be in the gap about now, you know, which is like about two miles away from where we lived, Then, sure enough, she'd come rolling into the driveway with, with that thing. Um, the paint was faded on it, the gas gauge had tape residue over it, because she lived in Sioux Falls, going to school there, Sioux Falls College and she would drive back to the Black Hills and she would put tape over her gas gauge 
because she never had enough money to fill up her tank, and so she didn't want to look at it. And she would just, on, by face, drive from Sioux Falls to Rapid City. Okay, and she she always made it. There was only one time she ran out of gas, and her brother had to come and, and give her some gas, and he chewed her out good for it. But um, I don't even remember if it had seatbelts in it. You know, that was back in the day when seatbelts weren't standard issue, and you weren't required to wear them. Uh, if there were seatbelts in it, they were probably gnawed by whatever rodent decided to make her Pinto its its uh, condominium for that time. Um, it would perhaps possibly potentially get you from point A to B. <laughs> A thing of power and beauty, it was not. That's the Ford Pinto. Now the Ford Motor Company also makes a vehicle called the Mustang. Okay, alright. She never owned a Mustang. Neither have I, but I have a friend who's restoring one. Uh, now both Pintos and Mustangs are the, the same thing. They're, they're horses, right? A Pinto is a horse, a Mustang is a horse, but they are not the same thing, right? Pintos and Mustangs, as horses, are not the same kind of horse. Now you could, and my wife could have done that. She could have ripped off the Pinto logo on the back of her of her little exploding time bomb there, and she could have found a Mustang piece of chrome and put that on there, right? But it's still going to explode if someone runs into the back end of it. Just because you change the logo doesn't, or logo doesn't make it, you know, something different. Now, the authenticity of a thing, and that's what we're talking about here in this passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21, is authenticity as a Christian. The authenticity of a thing is known by its trademark. Take a Louisville Slugger, for example. I just have to say that. Louisville Slugger, what is that? It's a baseball bat, a wooden baseball bat, right? Okay, And apparently a good one. It's been around for a long time. Now, how many of you as kids, you know, would pick up a tree branch and maybe pick up a rock or something and thunk it with the tree branch? Okay? Was that tree branch a Louisville slugger? <laughs> no. As much as you might have wanted to imagine it was one, it was not the same thing. So trademarks are, are very important. Um, a stick pretending to be a Louisville slugger will not hit a home run. A Pinto pretending to be a Mustang will not be a thing of power and beauty. All right. Now we have to bring that home to us. Now let's look at the text. Romans 12, verse 9. Thankfully it's, it's a small text and I have most of it memorized so I don't even know why my Bible's open because it's all just a blur right now. But it says in Romans 12, 9, Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, and hold fast to what is good. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Now, depending on your version there, you might have, you know, say something like, let love be sincere, let love be without pretense, uh, let love be without hypocrisy. I, I think that the first thing that Paul's laying out in this passage and everything that follows after it is very practically um, um, kind of fleshing out this idea is that is that love should be the real deal here for us as Christians. 
I want you to take a minute here, just because we get to do this now. We haven't been able to do this uh, when we were only live streaming and, and you were all out in separate places and that. But just kind of take a look around. Um, this is the general summer population of Common Ground Church, size-wise. This is what we normally get. I've seen a lot of new faces here. Welcome. Great to have you here. Um, just take a look around at each other. In, in August, this thing's going to be packed out. Okay, We're going to have college students returning. And we're going to have people excited to meet our new pastor and, and things like that. And, and every seat's probably going to be pretty full. All right? Um, but look at what we have right now. As you look around at each person here, can you tell yourself and affirm, or I should say, can you affirm this? I love these people. I love these people. And not just I love these people in this kind of blanket, generalized sense, but I love that person. Yeah, Brad, I'm pointing at you. <laughs> and I genuinely do. I love Brad. And, and, and that's one thing I think that's really kind of powerful about church is that it's, you know, you do, as you think about that, you go, I do love these people. Um, it, it Maybe even they might be a stranger to me, but there's something that God has put in us that causes us to desire his best for them, no matter what it might cost us. You never know when someone comes down the stairs into this place that if we're going to actually love that person, that, that that might be the day where we have to sacrificially do something for that person's good, that person's benefit. Okay. Now, the next question I was asked is, do you look at these people and say, yeah, I love that person, that person, that person, that person, every single day, every single hour, minute, second of that day? Because that's what genuine love is. Uh, it's, it's not interrupted. And, and the reason I can say that is because that's who Jesus Christ is. Uh, Jesus is the real deal. He's as genuine as you can be. He was genuinely, 100%, truly, really, legitimately God. While at the same time, truly, 100%, uh, unadulterated human being. And every second of Christ's existence was love. We're even told in 1 John chapter 4 that that's who God is. God is love. We only know love because he first loved us. And when we talk about the Louisville Slugger or the Pinto or the Mustang um, as trademarks, we must recognize that as human beings a trademark was put on us as well. And you can go all the way back to the garden, all the way back to the first human beings. And you can trace that story of humanity all through the New Old Testament and the New Testament. You can trace that same story all throughout human history outside of, uh, of the biblical source as well. And the one thing that we know about humanity is... We're messed up. Okay? We are messed up. We heard a prayer request just earlier about praying for our country and all of the division that is in it. And, and that has been ramping up more and more and more, especially if you look on social media. You know, it said someone has this opinion and someone has that opinion. Um, this person is anti whatever, this person is pro whatever. You, know, you can fill in the blank. I mean, you can use the example of, well, I'm, I'm pro-mask, or, well, I'm anti-mask. I don't care. Just don't be a jerk about it. Whatever side you're on. 
But unfortunately, we don't seem to know how to do that. As humanity goes, we are, we are just turning into people that are not very good at loving one another. We're real good at judging each other. We're good at evaluating each other. We're good at categorizing each other. And I can tell you that right now, that how guilty I am, um, that I, I'm talking about a message here that says that we should genuinely love 100% of the time every single human being, Right? And I can right here start listing, I'm not going to, but, but I can list categories of people that I don't love consistently every day. You see, that's the high standard that God had placed upon us when he created us in his image and he put his trademark on us at creation that we were to be lovers. When someone came to Jesus and said, what's the most important thing for us to obey? Jesus said, love God with everything you've got. Love your neighbor as yourself. Boom, that's it. If you go back and look at the Ten Commandments, that's what they were. Summarized down to those two things. First four were about loving God. The next were about loving others. When we look at Romans 12, verses 9 through 21, we're going to look at loving genuinely and loving one another as fellow believers in Jesus Christ, but also loving people outside of the church. People that don't believe in Jesus Christ and follow him like like we might do. And we're told that love should be genuine, 100% legit, all of the time. In John chapter 13, Jesus told us what his trademark would be for anybody that would claim to be his follower. He said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Now there's the command. Love one another. The quality of that love was then explained by Jesus that we are to love one another the same way that Jesus loves us. Okay, once again, the wave of conviction falls over me because the more I look at Jesus and how he loved, the less I see that in myself. Okay, and just think about that for a minute. Every single day of Jesus' ministry, as you read through the Gospels, what you're watching, what you're reading there, what you're observing is an individual who never failed to love. And it did not matter how flawed the individual was that came to him, Jesus flawlessly loved that individual. He loved Samaritans when that was not a popular thing to do, especially from Jews. He loved prostitutes. He wanted what was best for them when they came to him. He loved tax gatherers. There was a saying earlier, you know, in in Jewish society, the hierarchy, you know, way down at the very bottom, tax gatherer. Today's society, it's painter, (laughs) house painters. We're we're down there somewhere. (laughs) Love us when we're painting your house, but otherwise, eh, get away, you know, that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, for Jesus to love people that other people hated intensely, 
Um, like I said, that's very convicting to me. That's, that's extremely convicting to me. He just loved everybody. Nobody had to qualify to earn his love. They just had to be people that came to him, and, and, and he loved them. And even, even people that rejected him. You can read the story about the rich young ruler. And that person didn't want what Jesus had to offer. It still says in there that Jesus loved him much. Yeah, 100% all the time in his existence, without interruption, he is genuinely loved. And now he calls us to do that. Now, if you read John chapter, that's John 13, where he gives the command. If you read John chapter 14, 15, 16, you're going to see uh, what's called the Olivet Discourse. And that's where Jesus goes up on the Mount of Olives. And, and this is kind of like his last words to his disciples before his crucifixion. And guess what he talks about the whole time? Love. He starts off by saying, abide in me. Abide in me. And, and the reason that we have to abide in him uh, as, as he is the vine, that we're supposed to bear some kind of fruit as we do that. And that fruit is love. He also talks a lot about the Holy Spirit. Because we cannot love unless the Holy Spirit was sent to us. That's our, that's our fuel tank. That's where we go. Because, because I don't have the reserves in myself as a broken sinner. And even, even as a redeemed sinner, uh, the trademark's still a little faded in me. So Jesus says, look, I'm not only going to ask you to do this or command you to do this, I'm going to give you the means by which you can accomplish this. That it is possible for you to genuinely, without hypocrisy and without pretense, constantly be a loving person towards other people. And when I stop and think about that truth... What that should do is help me to realize how deeply I need to be in a relationship with the Holy Spirit. How deeply I need on a daily basis to constantly be going before Him and saying, You have got to give me the ability to love the way that Jesus loved me. You've got to give that to me because I don't have it. And I need it. I need it desperately. So our trademark, how we're known to be a follower of Jesus Christ is not a bumper sticker. It's not a fish symbol on the back of our car. Um, It's not where we spend our time on Sunday mornings or how we spend that time. It's not about keeping the rules better than other people. It's certainly not determined by who we vote for. It's definitely not determined by our ability to outshout the opposition. And it is absolutely not the quality of our social media posts or memes. It's none of those things. The trademark comes down to am I loving others flawlessly, regardless of how flawed they might be? Am I, am I doing it all the time? all the time. Am I authentic when I say I follow Jesus Christ? Um, Authenticity is is also described, if you get a thesaurus, it's genuineness, legitimacy, um, validity, reality, uh, truth. You know, we, we look for authenticity when we're marketing something. We want something to be found faithful, dependable, and accurate. 
So that's what we're talking about here when we talk about being genuine in our faith in Jesus Christ. Um, Are we legitimate? Are we legit when we say that we are sons and daughters of God? Now, there are three elements in this verse. I'll hit those real quick. I don't know why I looked at the clock. I couldn't even see it. <laughs> and, and the first element that, that we're showing in this verse is that love should be without hypocrisy. Now, we use that word hypocrite a lot or hypocrisy a lot. Um, to understand hypocrisy, we've, we've got to really understand the word hypocrite. It shows up once in the Old Testament. Okay, uh, Psalm 26.4, I believe it is, where David says something about he's not going to sit with men of falsehood uh, and he's not going to consort with hypocrites. Now, the Hebrew word, and I'm not going to try to pronounce the Hebrew word, but I can look it up and I can see what it means there. The, the Hebrew word is to conceal, dissemble, or hide oneself. And it's encapsulated in this idea of being a pretender. A pretender. Okay. In the New Testament, the word hypocrite or hypocrisy shows up a few times. Uh, it's where we actually get the English word. I can say the Greek word, hypocritos, or hypocritos. Um, and, and it basically means the same thing as the Hebrew word, a dissembler, uh, an actor, a stage player, a pretender. See how that works? Um, I had to look up because it was in both the, the, the Hebrew and the Greek. A dissembler is a person who gives false or a misleading appearance. Okay? Now, you go back to how they originally did play uh, stage plays. All right? They used masks. You know, what is, what's the trademark for theater? Can someone tell me? What's the trademark for theater? Two masks. One happy, one sad. Right? And that's kind of the idea is that uh, actors, you know, apparently they were really bad when they first started. They would use a mask to portray who they were. They actually hid themselves behind that thing. And to this day, I've got some stage experience. And uh, to this day, that's, that's what I'm doing too. I'm, I'm hiding myself behind a different kind of character, a different personage. Um, in the Christmas Carol, I play Master Fezziwig. And I really don't have to hide very much there because Fezziwig loved Christmas. And I do too. Okay, Fezziwig wanted the best for young Scrooge before he went sour. And, and, and I'm the same way. I want the best for young people as well. So I didn't really have to pretend too much uh, to be Fezziwig, other than I had to talk in a Scottish accent most of the time, you know, which I don't normally do. So I was pretending to know how to talk Scottish. You know. um, when I played in Taking Over the Asylum, I played um, Ready Eddie McKenna, another Scottish guy, by the way. So I had to talk Scottish through the whole cotton pick and play. Um, and it would slip into Irish, you know, once in a while too, because I, I can't pretend very well. And and he was a broken down, disillusioned, messed up alcoholic. Okay. Some of that I had to pretend. Some of it wasn't hard. You know, he just did that. And and the most recent play that I was in, I had to I had to play a seventeenth uh, century uh, church warden who was trying to protect his community during the onslaught of a plague. A pandemic. 
Yeah, that happened in October. We had no idea what was coming in March, and <laughs> from that point on. Uh, but again, you know, I had, to, I had to really work and learn about what it was like 16th century, what the plague was like, what it was like to be a survivor of it, and then to see it come back and wave through again, and to, to watch people that you love die and all that kind of thing. Uh, lots of pretense. That's what you do. That's your job. Your job is basically to tell the truth as a different character kind of thing. You're twisting the truth maybe just a little bit as you do that. That's what it is to be a, a play actor. And that is basically what the word hypocrite means. To be a person on stage pretending to be someone that he's not. It's not just saying one thing and doing another. It's this ongoing pretense, uh, this lack of genuineness in who you really are. Now it's interesting that aside from this passage in Romans 12, that every time a hypocrite or hypocrisy is mentioned in the New Testament, it's in the Gospels, and it's Jesus using the word. If you want to know something that really ticked Jesus off, look at how many times he addresses it. How many times did Jesus say, Thou shalt not be a tax gatherer? Not once. How many times did Jesus get up on his soapbox and talk about the evils of prostitution? Not once. In fact, I don't even think he once said anything about wearing a mask or not wearing a mask. But it seems to be the thing we talk about all the time. And we take sides and we divide over those things. The one thing that Jesus hammered on several times was hypocrisy. He had the most to say out of everybody about hypocrites. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 2, 5, and 16, he basically describes them as making a lot of noise about what they do so that they can be seen and praised by others. Okay, It's all about what I do so that others think well of me. Okay. Guilty. Been there. Uh, He said that there are people that have lots of lip but no heart. He was quoting Isaiah when he said that, that, that these people worship me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Guilty. Um, he described them as, as individuals who, who worry about all the wrong things while doing so they neglect justice and mercy. Oh man, how many times have I yelled about what was wrong but didn't do what was right? He said that they are people that hold malice in their heart. Now, when I read that one, that's that's where I had to go, and I started to identify the char- the, uh, the categories of people that I do have malice towards them, and and I shouldn't. And then in Matthew twenty three verses twenty five through twenty seven, he makes that gross comparison of hypocrites to uh, dirty dishes and rotten tombs. Uh, he says that they look good on the outside, but they're they're nasty, nasty on the inside. You know, you, you can't go to church, you can't go to the mall, you can't go to your place of work, you can't go any place on this earth without, and, and without swinging a dead cat and not hitting a hypocrite. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. It's not something that just Christians suffer from. It's it's something that humanity suffers from. 
For eons, for decades, for centuries, for millennia, we have been play-acting as human beings. Because if you go all the way back to the beginning, when God made human beings and said, they are good, they are very good, they had his thumbprint, his trademark upon them, and their job was just to care for and love creation. That's all. Their job was to care for everything that God had made and to love one another while they did that. That takes us to a tree. Thanks to Matt, I've been reading a book about trees in the Bible, and it's just absolutely amazing. It's called Reforesting Faith. I recommend reading that book. What's the author's name again? Matthew Sleep. Matthew Sleep. Okay. Uh, Reforesting Faith. He talks about how trees show up everywhere in the Bible. You'll be surprised. I mean, I knew trees were in the Bible, but I've been amazed at how often they show up. Well, you got the tree of life, and then you got the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Okay, and and those trees represent something. The knowledge of good and evil, we we know what that represented, and they weren't supposed to touch that. The tree of life was always there as an option for them. They could take from the, you know, they were told not to take from that other tree, but that other tree was free for them to take from. And and that tree always does represent Christ to us. We always have an option. We can always go the way we shouldn't go, or we can always say, I'm going to choose Christ. I'm going to the tree of life here. Okay. Now, here's what's interesting. I never thought about this before, about the knowledge of good and evil. That tree, that fruit that, that was born there, whatever that fruit was, that Adam and Eve ate, and now we bear their DNA from this day forward after that. Um, they already knew what was good. They didn't have to eat from that tree to learn what was good. They already knew what was good. Because God had declared it to them seven times. But knowing what was good wasn't enough for them, so they were drawn to something else. And really, that tree should be called the, the, the knowledge of good and evil. And what is evil? It's not the opposite of good. It's the corruption of good. It's the twisting of good. And so what happened when they ate of that tree, Adam and Eve were corrupted. They were twisted. And that trademark began to be rubbed out. And their ability to love one another was damaged. And that's the way humanity has been functioning ever since. We haven't just suddenly got divided. We haven't just suddenly taken sides about one thing or another. We haven't suddenly become jerks to one another. That's the way we've always been since they ate of that forbidden fruit. The trademark isn't there. We're just Pintos wishing we had a Mustang logo on us. But again, you go back, Jesus said, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give you that that, that trademark again. I'm going to polish it. I'm going to make it shine. Uh, If it looks like it's been rubbed out on you, I'm, I'm going to get it engraved solidly in you. You can do that. Because you wouldn't have commanded it unless it were possible. The question we have to ask is, just like Adam and Eve, am I going to choose what I already know to be good, which is Jesus Christ, or am I going to choose something else? 
So this is, this is kind of the practical nitty-gritty of it, to be genuine in loving one another without pretense, without play-acting, without pretending we're something that we're not. It's just choosing Jesus every day. When somebody really ticks you off, you can either get mad at them and maybe say something you wish you hadn't said or maybe think something that you wish you could say to them, which doesn't really make it any better. Or you can say, well, I'm going to look at Jesus here real hard, just a minute. <laughs> and, and I'm going to imagine how Jesus would respond to this person. And then I'm going to choose to respond the same way. And that's how we love genuinely. We do it the way Jesus would. Because you see, we were created to be reflections of God. And when we chose to do it without him, that reflection was marred. And then when Jesus came and died on another tree for our sakes and rose again from the dead in a garden filled with trees, he gave us the ability. That's what that was all about. So that takes us to the two other elements of this this verse, and that's abhorring what is evil and clinging, being super glued to what is good. And, and those two things tie in perfectly with what was just said about our love being genuine and without hypocrisy. We make that choice between what is good and what is evil. You know, it's really easy for me to read that verse and it says, abhor what is evil. Well, I will look at other people and what they do. I abhor that, you know. But that's not what that verse is talking about. And it's not in that context. It's, It's about what evil might be inside me. I hate that. I hate it. I want to get rid of it. I don't want anything to do with it. I want to get as far away from that and it as far away from me as I possibly can. And in order to do that, I have to cling Super glue myself to what is good, and that is Jesus Christ. It can't be some kind of a casual relationship that I have with Him. Um, it can't be where I put Him on the back burner from time to time while I deal with life my own way. It it's Jesus all the time, and that's a full on commitment. That's a a full-on death to oneself so that you can take up his cross and follow him. Um, It's not a a mediocre Christianity. It's not an adulterated Christianity. It's not some kind of bastardized Christianity. It's legitimate Christianity, which comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And nothing but that. And it's not just a one-time, okay, Jesus, I'm yours. It's every second of my day, Jesus, I don't know why, but I'm yours. I don't know know why you put up with me. I don't know why you stomach my hypocrisies, my play-actings, my pretendings. I I don't know why you want me when I don't want others. And then I realize he does that because that's how Jesus loves. Genuinely. I don't have to earn it. I just have to receive it. And receive it so fully that my hands are so full that I I can't hang on to it all to myself but to give it to others. 
to give it to others. So common ground, if we can have a common goal, let's make it genuinely loving people the way that Jesus loves us. Uh, That video, which I had no idea was going to play today, if if we're going to have a legacy, would would it be said of us, man, does, does that person love others? Holy cow, that's one thing I know about them is they just love people immensely. If someone were to say, hey, have you heard about Common Ground um, Church? That it wouldn't be, yeah, I hear they're getting a new pastor. Well, I hope they talk about that. Uh, but I hope that what would override even that was, was like, that church is really known for loving others. And especially we know that because of the way they take care of themselves, each other. You see, I think when Jesus said that all the world will know you, my disciples, by this, by your love for one another, what he was saying is this is is your witnessing tool. This, This is how you impact the world. This is how you make my name known to every nation, every people on this earth, is by doing such a good job of loving each other that they say, man, I want that. I want to be in that. I don't know what that's like. I I want to step into that. I want to be a part of that. How do I do that? Well, the same way we did. We just let Jesus love us. We accepted it. We believed it. We've embraced it. And now we've asked him to pour it through us. That's all. That's all. Isn't that simple? I just talked for nearly, you know, 40 minutes about something so simple. We just got to do it. We just have to do it. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word because um, I, I never enter into your word and come out unscathed. Um, you take what is sideways and bent and broken and twisted in me and uh, you kind of beat the tar out of it. Or or as Bob Ross would say, just beat the devil out of it. (laughs) And I think that's what you're doing in us, God, is as we go to your word, you, you take that which the devil has twisted, the devil has tainted in us through our, through our first parents, causing us to, to hang on to evil rather than abhor it and causing us to reject good rather than to cling to it. So God, we pray that your word through your Holy Spirit would just whip us into shape. Because we need it, God. And we know we need it because we know how much we need to be genuinely loved. Every individual here knows that hunger. And God, we know someone that genuinely needs to be loved. And Lord, we know just by looking out into this world and seeing how humanity is behaving right now, that for tens of thousands of years, this world has been filled with people who act the way they do because they've never been genuinely loved and known it. So Lord, I pray that we can start here, that we can start together, that we would have that common goal of loving people in Rapid City, everybody, no matter how flawed they are, 
and loving them flawlessly. And God, we cannot do that by ourselves. But with your Holy Spirit, all things are possible. So God, would you bring that possibility to this city? To every corner or every niche of this community, wherever we might set our foots, feet, feet. Um, God, would you bring genuine love to those places? Lord, take our broken. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.